Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's glad he's not a message board moderator. (laughs) <laughs> Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, you know, I am I am good, Gerald. You know, Gerald, I'm I'm reveling in, in week one of my Jesus year. The real heads know what that means. But as I turn a year older, focus this year on uh, on, on on self improvement, on 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 being um, being great, doing doing things right, uh, challenging myself to growth, personal, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm one week in. Long way to go. But I'm feeling good, Gerald. Uh, beautiful weather here in Houston, Texas. Spend some time outside with the dog, the wife. It's nice. How are you? I'm good. Now, I'm going to ask you a question on the podcast, a loaded question. Um, of all the people not named your wife that sent you messages about your birthday, which one was your favorite? Oh, without a doubt. My favorite birthday message for either that I receive or my wife receives on her birthday is always your son singing I mean, perfectly until it gets to the point of, wait, whose name is it? I can just imagine how popular your son is that when he gets to that point, every time where he has to insert the happy birthday to, and he like looks at you, he's like, now, which one of my many fans am I inserting here? Um, but obviously, you know, on cuteness factor alone, that, that wins every year. Okay, good. That's that's what I need to know. I want, I want to tell him Uncle Kyle said so. Uh, so we're not here to talk about. Uh, how cute my son is, which the answer is very. But uh, we're we're here to talk about a lot of stuff today. We got a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. Uh, we pushed our recording day back so we could talk about this. But the Eyes of Texas Commission released their kind of um, findings about the um, about the Eyes of Texas. So we'll talk about that. Uh, basketball is gearing up for a Big Twelve tournament run after ending the season on a hot streak. Baseball. Playing well, doing some good things. We'll obviously down the 40. Lot to down. The spring season is loaded. We'll uh, do some burnt orange lenses and we'll uh, then close it out with some Godzilla Tron and bang uh, the drum. So like I, I mentioned, we normally release this on Tuesday, but we, we knew that the Eyes of Texas uh, commission report was going to be released on, well, today, the day of recording, Tuesday. And so if you're not aware... I'm not sure if anybody listening to this podcast isn't aware of this, but um, when last year in 2020, when uh, the students released their their list of of requested changes, um, the Eyes of Texas was deemed to still stay the school song. However, a commission was uh, created, I guess a group was commissioned, is probably a better way to say that, to investigate, discuss, and kind of interpret um, and some ways and give some recommendations on how to uh, view and understand the history of the eyes of Texas um, and, and kind of its place as a, as a song for the school. So it was a 24 member committee um, of people of all kind of different social and, and economic backgrounds included some current and former student athletes names. You might recognize Ricky Brown, Quan Cosby, Logan Eggleston to name just a few and kind of the point of this was not really to make conclusions about the song. And that's one thing that I think we've seen and I want to talk about in just a moment. But, like, this is not a conclusive set of findings. This is research that's presented in a way with recommendations about the song. And so that was kind of what, what Chris Conti and Jay Hartzell both echoed, is that this is kind of a, uh, a common set of facts to have some conversations around. And so... Um, basically the executive summary, it's a, it's like an almost 60 page report, but there's an executive summary, uh, that was given off top to kind of summarize what they found. So we already knew the eyes of Texas would remain the alma mater. That was the decision made prior to the commission, not as part of what the commission did. Um, 
their their whole job was just to research and understand the history. Um, a couple of bullet points from it. They feel like the song reflects the history of America. Um, they say that the facts and historical context matter. Uh, this is a direct quote. Research by the committee has uncovered important facts and historical context, some which has never been syst- uh, systematically compiled and analyzed until now. Uh, these historical facts add complexity and richness to a story of a song that debuted in a racist setting, exceedingly common for that time. But as the uh, preponderance of research shows had no racist intent. Um, instead, it was the parody, a parody of famous phrases of the university president. Uh, president. They also feel like we are living out the meaning because the song is supposed to be about accountability. So that's kind of your 30,000 foot executive summary. So Kyle and I have both taken time to kind of do some research and, and look into the findings of uh, the committee. And so I guess, Kyle, what, what I want to know is like, as you sit, as you think, like, where are you at? And, and does this feel like it's, it's just where, where are you, where are you sitting at right now? I guess, I guess the day of this release. Yeah, there, there's, um, there's a few, many, actually many, many things here. Look, we're, we're sitting here, like you said, the day of release. And I think the entire premise that, uh, this committee was, was founded upon and, and ultimately delivered a decision that, you know, I, I kind of matched what I expected is that. This is not necessarily something that should be decided in day one. You shouldn't read something and make your decision. This, um, we are pretty haughty and arrogant with our "what starts here changes the world" phrasing. We like to throw that around, and and I think generally we we as a university exhibit some of that. I think the decisions that you know we all make as we process this and decide our opinion on it. Um, should not be shouldn't have been decided months ago they should not have been decided necessarily today in in my opinion they'll be decided in the weeks months and in in years to come um we talked about a group of student athletes um quasi unionizing coming together and saying look we have demands and and you know we basically you know propel forward this the richest athletic program in the country, the the highest revenue generating in the country, we think we should get some say. That in itself is great. They listened to them. There was multiple, um, Logan Eggleston, the, the president of that kind of student organization, student athletes organization was on this, Quan Cosby, um, Ricky Brown. So they, there's, there's multiple student athlete voices and, and, and they, they, they put some of the brightest professors, researchers, um, and people with correct opinions on this committee. I think it, it wasn't ever going to solve anything, everything, but I think it was a, a, a starting point. And as long as we treat it as that, as long as we treat these findings as as a as a starting point, I, th- I, I kind of did like what Chris Del Conte called it was a common set of facts that will be a great starting point to build our conversations across our campus. And, and it, again, I, I think we're sitting here day one with this report release. Again, this shouldn't be the first anyone's ever heard of it, and you shouldn't expect that this is going to be the last that you've heard of it. Um, there's 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 dozens and dozens of competing narratives at a national level, at a local level. There's people with political slants about it. Here's my suggestion: is that everyone just kind of sits back, takes a deep breath, takes some time to 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 marinate, and they really did a good job. Um, I'll give full transparency. I know multiple of the members of the committee person on a personal level, um, including kind of the the lead historian, um, and, and and I know him to be a, th- a thorough. Um, academic and unbiased researcher and and the idea that they had was that i don't remember what he said his initial word count that he submitted was but it was you know basically some some uh, and i know who had to edit it as well the poor guy who had to edit this in about you know down uh, into a third of the original report they submitted it could have been 200 pages uh pretty easily but they, they tried to be very transparent tried to share videos, tried to share. I think they're going to make available some of their uh, source documents. And, and I think they're really trying to, from an academic standpoint, which is, look, the university's academia, um, tried to follow all research protocols and make that visible and make it transparent, allow people to dive in if they want to know more, if they want to understand more, to to inform themselves. Because this is not an easy topic, but, it, it you know, there was, there was some conversation about can UT really be a vanguard? Can what starts here change the world? Can we not ignore our past? Can we do the difficult thing that our country itself is struggling and has been actually 
a long time, quite mightily, with acknowledging our past, understanding it was really bad, that things that happened are, are, are terrible, not making the same mistakes, and also having tough conversations and changing, where necessary, the things to go forward. Don't get stuck in tradition, but also don't turn your nose up at traditions because times are different, right? Any, any historical perspective on things, um, everything's going to be bad and wrong because if society works, it's gradually getting better and better all the time. Our, our great grandkids will look at us and, and, and think what, you know, um, absolute heathens we were because the things that we thought were tolerable, you know, in our lifetime. So that means something's working. I mean, when you talk progress, progress is always important. And and going into this, I didn't think this was going to challenge to change anybody's mind, right? Like I I was I was very willing to you know, hear their findings, and, and I put this out there on Twitter. Like I I was very vocal about like if if this is what the song means to people, then or this if this is what the song doesn't mean to people, then why are we holding on to it? And so that, that's something that I've been very vocal about. And I was I had actually already started kind of a response to my own column about like, hey, I, if if this is actually what the findings are, but it, I'm going to be really honest with you, Kyle, I'm kind of disappointed mm-hmm. with the way that some of this was presented. Um, and and no no disrespect to anybody that that is on the committee. I respect all like there are way smarter people involved in this conversation than I am. But I think the thing that I struggle with is, um, is presented as a way that divorces impact from intent. Mm. And I think that's the, the thing that's, that's my hang up on it is that, and, and, and this is obviously perspective of like, I am, I am a black man. Like I'm going to say that, right. So like, this is my perspective, but when it comes to things like there's a reason why Jimmy Fallon has to apologize for the Chris Rock sketch every three years when a college freshman with a Twitter following discovers it. Right. Because he didn't intend to make fun of Chris Rock. Right. But we all know blackface is wrong. So for me, it's hard to divorce intent from impact right if i swing my arm and hit you in the nose you don't care that i didn't intend to hit you in the nose you care that i punched you in the face and so that's where my hang-up is now again some of this is interesting and for me it was never about the song itself uh it was what wasn't really about the lyrics i i anybody i think who's having an academically honest conversation never really thought it was about like the lyrics right. of the eyes of texas right. being racist right um anybody's willing to like have an academically honest conversation um but for me it was all about like that delivery and nothing in the report has changed that they they the the one thing that really changed it was that and this has been story that's been told on campus since like the 1940s that this was a take on a Robert E. Lee thing and that's something that they couldn't find ties to which is again that's new information and so again based on that like I, I I never had issues with the song itself it was never about the song itself for me but for me it was always about like what does this song actually mean to people which is what traditions are i think the the biggest thing to come out about this and and the the good decision that was made um is that students student athletes are not going to be required to sing the song they're not going to be required to stand to participate they're not going to be required to sing the song now that'll be a team by team basis on how they handle it um, and how they want to handle it uh there's there's some merit to like hey if you have fans that want to to sing it like just stand Mm -hmm. there right but again i'm also not a fan of like making people do stuff that feels disingenuous to them but that's whole separate conversation uh but like that's the best thing to come out of this for me is the decision from an institutional level like no if you are not comfortable with this then it's okay and you can just not be a part of it and you know what that's kind of how america works or should work in a lot of ways um if my choice to not participate in something is not hurting anybody important fact if my choice to not participate is not hurting anybody wear your seatbelts uh then it's okay and i think that to me is probably the biggest impact out of out of everything that we got yeah i agree completely with you and i think you know there was a 40 kind of bullet point for the 40 acres um and if if you skim the executive summary and that is probably a good place to, to to start for those of you who maybe haven't dug into it um reading the full report is a lot but um it's a good place to start uh there's a lot of suggestions for what's next. And that's what I keep coming back to is this is a start. There's more to come. Um, but look, if we have a statue to, to Julius Whittier on campus now, we, you know, thanks to generous and understanding and responsible and respectful and humane donors that, you know, said Joe Jamail said, why, why, why don't we name the field after 
or two Heisman winning, two incredible, two of the best football players in the history of college football who both happen to be strong black men who you know have stayed a part of the program and 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 voiced their opinions throughout this process as well right um there have been changes already that does not mean anything is done but you know the like i said the the giving a voice to the student athletes the um you know it, it feels like there's already just by having this conversation it was useful no matter what the outcome is no matter what it looks like five years from now um there have been useful things. Probably we got stuck. Probably we lagged. Probably things we need to do. And again, I keep coming back to what starts here, changes the world. UT has a chance, a really incredible chance. All the eyes of the world are are on them, right? They, they have a moment in, in time. So how they respond to this, like uh, allow yourselves to be that success story. Follow up with these things you've committed to. Um, do the hard work, have the difficult conversations, enact whatever change you can. But, but again, don't, don't, assume that an institution can fix everything, right? This is the starting point. It is up to us. It's up to people. I appreciate their educating freshmen. It starts, you know, there. And, and, and again, all of us alumni fans, uh, members of the Longhorn family, like it's up to us as well. Be a part of that change. Be a part of the greater purpose. Come together and drive it forward, right? They're, they're, um, the pettiness, the, the divisiveness, that, that all needs to be in the past. Shaka talked about us being a family, and I think that's um, that's something that's special about Longhorn Nation, and, and I would like that to be the pervasive feeling. Again, I, I'm not hopeful that everything's going to be perfect, but I'm hopeful that we can have progress and, and, and be better for it all. And I think that's, that's the big thing, right? I think we're all going to have our own opinions on this, and that's what life is, right? You never, you don't agree with family about everything. You don't agree with friends about everything. That's called being a grown person. That's part of life, right? So we're not going to all agree on it, right? There are probably a lot of people that disagree with my stance on this, and that's fine. But the biggest thing for me is there is this national narrative about who the University of Texas is mm. and who the Texas Longhorn football program is and who these donors are and all of that. And for me, there are those moments where you're like, it is really, really annoying to be a Texas fan because it feels like every other day somebody says something stupid and makes us all look bad. And this is an opportunity for us to reclaim the narrative about who we are. This is an opportunity for the fans, the actual fans of the University of Texas, and not $50 donors pretending like they're $50,000 donors <laughs> sending racist emails to the athletic director. This is an opportunity for us to stand up and say, you know what, regardless of how we feel about something, this is something that we care about, this is something we're passionate about, this is who we are. We, we are who we want to be and we can reclaim that narrative and that's i think how we how we need to be able to walk away from this and i think that was a that was a, a, an early comment it's like this is not meant to be like a cudgel to beat people with about the facts that's not what right. this is supposed to be right. this is supposed to be a way for us to have a conversation and reclaim the narrative about our culture and who we are as a group of people and that's what i really hope we can walk away from i, I can't add any more on that i think a hopeful note we both agree is, is where we go next. Um, I hope we're not coming back in a year or six months and saying, remember when we had that conversation, we never did anything. So I'm choosing to remain hopeful and that this is step one and a starting point. And uh, Gerald and I will continue to be hopeful, but also our job as journalists to be um, watchdogs and make sure that, that uh, the people who say things are, are held accountable and do those things. We don't always get to do that in the sports world as much as we would in other forms of journalism, but you can count on Gerald and, and I, capital J journalist here. We will uh, we'll be we'll be doing our best to uh, to continue this conversation where it's necessary. So on to some real sports. Let's go and talk about some stuff that matters. The Texas basketball team. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. They had an opportunity to to go three and zero to close the season. Two were pretty much guarantees, and then one was kind of a toss up with OU. Well, Texas took all three of them to finish conference play real hot. Finishing with double-digit wins in conference for the first time since Shaka Smart's first year at Texas. So on Thursday, after leading 10 points by 10 at halftime, Texas gave up a lead, actually fell behind, and then managed to battle back and win 69-65. to Andrew Jones led the team 16 points on 5 of 8 shooting. Jericho Sims tied with uh, 16 points of his own. I think all 16 came via dunk, which is great by me, and 12 boards. Courtney Ramey chipped in 11-8. and eight. Matt Coleman. 
just scored two points, but in typical Matt Coleman fashion, was an absolutely Spartan kick to the chest <laughs> to, to kind of close things out. And then on Sunday, that game was never in doubt at all. It got to the point where um, Greg Brown, who's needing a little bit of like a slump buster almost, he's, he's just been like a little a little off, um, went for a between-the-legs dunk uh, on a breakaway. And, and just, you know what? I, I got to love the confidence. The confidence, I'll always remember the T.I. lyric, the spirit of a hustler and the swagger of a college kid. And that <laughs> swagger of a college kid meter is Greg Brown on a slump going for a between-the-legs dunk. But Andrew Jones, again, led the team 16 points. Uh, 12 of those came on a perfect 4-4 from behind the arc. Uh, Matt Coleman got back to his winning ways, 14 points. Uh, Ramey chipped in 13 and 6 assists. Jericho Sims, 13 points as well. Again, I think all uh, – I think 12 of those came as via dunk, and then he, I think he was like one of two from the free throw line. Uh, and then Kai Jones, who just – picked up his crown as conference sixth man of the year chipped in 10 points as well so there's there's a lot to like there's a lot to take away um let's take one moment this is the end of the regular basketball season gerald and, and if i were to tell you at the start of the season we had high hopes we certainly certainly did there's no doubt about that but if i were to tell you that texas finished third in the big 12 they're a top 15 team they're about to be you know a protected seed in the tournament is your initial gut Good year. Great season. I mean, it, it, would would you in any way disagree that, that you would view that as a great season? Especially in a conference where you're going to have seven, probably seven, six to seven teams, maybe six or seven teams make the tournament. You have seven in the top 20. Yeah, right. So like seven teams make the turn. Seven of the nine teams of the conference make the tournament. Five of those teams are a potential three seed or better. Like, let's have a talk about best basketball conference in the country. Big 12. So like. Finishing third in the conference with 11 wins is a really good season, especially when Baylor, like Baylor is ha- far and away like the best team, one of the best teams in the country, right? Yeah. Like they are like they they had that weird stumble, but like they're going to be fine. We we, we um, were all playing for second basically, and that's, you know, as much as that's vinegar, you know, leaving my my lips that Baylor was maybe the second yes absolutely the second best team in the country all year from from pole to pole they were a top two team in the country so i mean that's that's tough that's tough to 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 ever sniff and and, and try to top that so basically we came in second place of the not the non um you know historically good baylor team um but I, i'll just say look it's it's been seven years since the University of Texas has won an NCAA tournament game, and they're going to be heavily favored, no matter what happens in this Big 12 tournament, which we'll talk about in a moment, but they're going to be heavily favored against whoever they're matched up against. Like, it's just, it's a bit of catharsis. It's a bit of thawing of, of some basketball fans' frustrations um, the past few years. Like, that, again, seven years is just a crazy, uh, crazy stat. And look at it. We beat OU. We, we got to chant, OU sucks. We've beat them, I think, the last four times we've played them, and, and three have come on, like, buzzer beaters. Um, uh, excuse me, four of the last five. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we we knocked them also back to seventh, where they had to they now have to play the play-in game in the Big 12 tournament. Even though they're, like, a top-20 team, we make them feel sit at the kids' table um, and, and, and have to play play into the Big 12 tournament. Like, a lot of good happened. I mean, think, again, about this, the fact that we're looking at a top-15 Texas team that lost four out of five <clears throat> after COVID basically finally made its way into the program and just wrecked the momentum, wrecked the cohesion, wrecked the ability to practice, wrecked their head coach being available, you know, wrecked having more than two players at any given time able to practice. Like, in a year when that happens, oh, man, we lost four or five. There are teams, Texas teams, there are Chaka Smart Texas teams that don't recover. So just savor a bit that they, they finished out on a 6-2 and two run in their last eight games. They positioned themselves well for the tournament. You see, a, a, you know, a Super Saiyan version of Jericho Sims at the right time. Uh, you know, if he could stay healthy, it just seems like they have a weapon there and, and, and they know what their guards can do and who's going to be on any given night. They have a recipe for success, a path forward. They have a rotation figured out. Um, they have multiple weapons. Like you said, the sixth man of the year, guys coming off the bench, Brock Cunningham minutes. Uh, it's a it's a fun team. You're okay to just enjoy this. It's okay to just enjoy this. And, and the season's over. <sighs> Let out a deep breath. Enjoy it. And get excited about 
the next, uh, you know, uh, dessert to this season. I don't know what's going to happen in the conference tournament. If Texas loses to Texas Tech again, <sighs> I may scream. But um, this is th- like we said it before this season that this was going to be a chance to really, I think, see for the first time in a long time what Shaka Smart mm-hmm. looked like at full strength. And it looks a lot like the best season Shaka has had at Texas, mm-hmm. where like when you look at the 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 history of what Shaka Smart has done, like his second year, the team had to suspend their leading scorer and went four of 12 from that point. And again, they were four of 14 in conference play. The next year you lose your team's leading scorer mm-hmm. to leukemia, mm-hmm. right? He comes back, plays a couple of games the next year, managed to pilot a team to the NIT. And then the next year, you're basically back in the NCAA tournament. Like they probably had to win one game in the conference tournament, but they had a pretty favorable matchup in the, in the play in game. And so like they had an opportunity to be a, a, a tournament team again. And so there's, there's this like weird two sides of the narrative. Like I understand people are frustrated with the results that Shaka Smart has put together as a coach, but like when you look at the greater context of what the dude has had to deal with in his tenure at Texas, like he's dealt with some stuff. Like there's no two ways around that. You're, you're not wrong, Tevin Mack. Uh, you know, was it was a tough one that year. The 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 but the, we've talked about it so many times. The Andrew Jones stuff. It's just like uh, nope. There's so few coaches that have ever dealt with anything like that. Like it's it's an in, it's an inspirational story, sure, but like it's also there is no playbook, there is no textbook for that. And Shaka, the reason that he got through it, and the reason the team came out stronger on the other side, is the reason that those of us who are advocating for not firing Shaka is because he's one of the singular best human beings to ever coach, you know, basketball, um, especially at the University of Texas. But you know, if he can be that incredible person through adversity and maybe just get a full season ever COVID this year of, of not ridiculousness. I would be so curious to, to see a fully, fully loaded, fully equipped, non, you know, craziness uh, season from, from Shaka with his guys. So um, again, you're right. It, long live Shaka, long may he reign. And, and one day uh, long may he have uh, no hurdles in his path. Texas now rises to number 13 in the latest AP poll. They're a number, uh, they're slated by uh, a lot of projections as a three seed, including like ESPN's Bracketology, which is probably the most popular one out there. And that's where I get the like, where Baylor's a one seed and then there are four three seeds in the Big mm-hmm. 12, which is just nuts. But they're the number three seed in the Big 12 tournament, which is going to start uh, tomorrow against Texas tech looking at the baseball team who's all right Joe. let me take the next one uh i've been i've been getting excited about texas baseball uh number 19 texas baseball took uh both the midweek games and then went two and one in the weekend series uh against a really really good university houston team they uh in the two wins against texas a&m corpus christi and texas state they had a 22 to 4 uh combined run advantage the bats came alive and we joked on Twitter. We said, look, and gave the stats of how they'd played, you know, been hitting and scoring runs since the opening uh, tournament and uh, said, but all it takes with our guy on the mound, with Ty Madden, is one. Well, they won the first Friday game, one to zero over U of H. I want to dig in a little bit here, Gerald, because breathtaking. I mean, I think we, we thought Ty Madden was good. I think we knew he was really good. I, I don't know if, if any of us really comprehended just how good, right? 25 strikeouts yeah. in his last 16 innings, like no runs allowed, just a couple hits sprinkled through there. I mean, real good. Yeah, like there we, we knew that he had some stuff, but like I did not think that he was like, He's, he's what, like, I think three hits maybe over his last two starts, which is just dumb. Like, I, I knew he was good. I didn't think he was, like, one of the top pitchers in the draft class good. Like, that's not the guy who we thought he was, which is absolutely um, incredible. And it's great for a pitching staff that I think um, needs to have that cornerstone. He's the guy that can go out and get you a Friday night win, and, and that's what Texas needs. Friday night ties. Um, two hit, complete game shutout, 14 Ks. Um, what I loved was uh, I, I saw someone uh, post a picture of the radar gun in the ninth inning after he'd already thrown 100 pitches and he touched 95, 96 on his last strikeout. Like, 
kid's got the stuff. That's why he's projecting as a top 10 pick in the draft. He was the Big 12 Pitcher of the Week for the second straight week based on that performance. And actually also got the National Pitcher of the Week by Perfect Game uh, Rawlings and also the other national, uh, the Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. So basically swept the awards last week. But Texas played a couple other games. They also needed just a couple to win on Saturday. However, uh, a 1-1 tie went all the way to the 11th before uh, a walk-off uh, walk-off run for the, the Cougars gave them the Saturday series. I'll say this, that, that one was not on the pitchers either after Madden uh, went so well Friday, Saturday. The pitchers were, were relatively masterful themselves. Um, I mean, Texas had one hit after the sixth inning from their bats. But uh, we got to see Tanner Witt, a top 20 projected prospect, people thought potentially last year's draft, um, looked really good in, in two and some change. Uh, scoreless innings got out of a, a, a jam uh, nice there. Aaron Nixon came in and looked really good for about two innings and left one bad pitch, a, a hanging slider, and, and that's what U of H capitalized on. When your bats aren't going, when you're not getting the stuff, it's um, – it's tough. One bad pitch, which everyone has, uh, will 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 get you after you know eleven innings. That was a tough one. Eric Kennedy went three for four. Faltine uh, had two doubles, and Hodo had two hits. The rest of the team, one one hit. Not a great outing from the bats. Again, um, I think the Texas bats are still looking for consistency to keep their rhythm, and that uh, it just wasn't the case on uh, Sat. And that's that. The tough part about that is. When a pitcher really turns in a couple of good, or you're, you're not just the one pitcher, but like the pitching staff, I guess, turns in a, you know, a, a solid performance, a, a two run performance, it's hard to be upset about that, right? So, like, the bats need to catch up. And again, they, they, um, they got it all out of their system on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they seem to, uh, they seem to wake up. Jobu is, is, is a, um, is a, a wonderful, if inconsistent, bat, uh, god of baseball bats. But uh, he got it going um, Sunday. They, they won 8-2. to two. Colby Kubitschek gets the win, striking out 9, giving up 1-6. through six. Um, The uh, Sam Houston State, they got off early. I think they scored 9 runs as the time of recording this, though. Uh, it is a close game now. I think it's 10-9 to nine in the top of the 6th uh, as we're Whoa. recording. So uh, we'll talk more about that one when we're able to break it down a little bit. Uh, more obviously we are uh, we are recording currently but um, there's a weekend series well actually sorry they, they after this uh, one they, they will when they wrap this up they will head this weekend um, or welcome in excuse me to Austin a top 20 SEC baseball team which has not been good to Texas but they have a chance to change that narrative as South Carolina the Gamecocks come to Austin so that's a big 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 time weekend series and a big time proving ground and, and you could see the number next to Texas's name change uh, if they go out and do uh, and they will hopefully again we'll, we'll update you at the outro you probably will already know by the time uh, this podcast hits your podcast feed so now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus because there's a lot going on and we down the 40 so we'll start with number two volleyball they um, managed to just absolutely dominate Baylor. Absolutely dominate Baylor. Um, I believe they just, I, this was a week ago now, but they dropped like one set um, in that. They've dropped, I think, a cumulative of like nine sets over on the entire year, uh, and five of those came to Baylor. So Baylor, like four, four were in the previous matchup, and one was last week. And then they and then they just went ahead and knocked off the Sun Belt champion Texas State Bobcats on Monday. Um, so improved to 18-0. On the season, and and Texas State has played a lot of, of games. Like they had for a while played the most games in the country. I think they came into this twenty-seven and four. They're a really, really good team, and Texas just whooped them in straight sets. I mean, they're it's it's the way we talked about in in basketball, men's basketball. They're being a, a class, and no shame to Texas State, who might be like the twentieth best team in the country. Uh, but uh, Texas has clearly proven to be just that class above, and and. Uh, Makes me excited. Makes me excited for the postseason if they can finish this one out with the same momentum. Something I always love to say is that we have another opportunity to talk about how Texas beat Baylor. Number two women's tennis <laughs> took uh, took out number fifteen uh, Baylor in conference play. They've got a doubleheader coming up against Texas State and West Virginia. Number six men 
dominated number 26 Oklahoma State. Um, freshman Micah Braswell, for his contribution, was named Big 12 Player of the Week. Um, the second consecutive Longhorn to do that with Elliot Spaziri taking it last week. They're going to face Rice on Saturday, or Friday, excuse me, in Houston. Number seven, softball. Uh, lost a weekend series to number 12, LSU, which is unfortunate. LSU's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they won the first game of a triple header. Um, they they had a rain delay, but they won 8-5, and then they lost on a uh, second game on a walk-off 2-1, and then uh, the third game 7-2. Janae Jefferson's streak of reaching base safely ended at 27, which yeah. tied Taylor Hoagland, who we love, uh, for the fourth longest in program history. Yeah, it was tough, but uh, you know what she did? She she immediately got back. I think that happened in the second game. She immediately got back and uh, started the next game. So she's got another one started. Uh, that streak obviously dating back to uh, to last year. But uh, a tough weekend. Um, but don't forget, they're 10-2. and two. They have five games this week. They could be 15-2 and two and should be, honestly, um, by the end of the week. So they, they, they have some good things going, just a little bit of unevenness to work out. Um, but, uh, I mean, Colleen Sullivan has been fantastic. She started her own streak, uh, I think is 11 consecutive games now, reaching as a career best. Uh, she hit 667 with a double, her first career home run and four RBIs over the weekend. So they have um, a couple other freshmen who are contributing early, some some newcomers, new faces. So they have um, a lot of talent you know, for early in the season. Of course, they have a lot of experience returning, but a good balance uh, of that pipeline as well. Um, they went on after that. With a 9-0 win over Houston, blasting five home runs, the uh, the second most in school history, and added another to the uh, the five run, uh, excuse me, five inning tally, I believe, bringing their season tally up to four. So track won 13 events in the outdoor season opening Longhorn Invitational, um, which will actually not was made up of a bunch of people that aren't going to be competing in uh, next week's indoor nationals, which makes sense. Uh, O'Brien Wassum was named the USTFCCA National Athlete of the Week. Um, Best jump so far in the world this year, uh, breaking a 33-year-old school record in the process. Riley Fritz. uh, Gerald, Gerald, hang on just one moment. I I want to pause you there. 17 meters, which I wrote in the show notes. Sometimes, like meters, we're we're American. We're on, not on that, uh, you know, metric system. Gerald, 17 meters is a five-story building laid down on its side that he jumped. Um, it's 56 feet. I think it's some change, almost 56 feet, just under. That's that. <laughs> I think about getting getting a bike. To go that distance i certainly don't think about jumping that's just uh, sorry i didn't want to skip over that there's a reason he's the first ever that's the u.s track and field coaches association which is professional as well as collegiate he was named the athlete uh, of the week in just track and field uh in, in the country um and i think it's the first time a, a uh, longhorn male has ever won that so i didn't want to not give o'brien wassum eight-time all-american the university of texas absolute like leaping machine uh his due credit sorry please continue just wanted to interject that's fine that's that's what you're here for uh riley fritz finally made her debut after transferring uh from uts she she transferred like what two seasons ago and 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 yeah i don't know if they don't do javelin and indoor i imagine not um but i think she only competes at least in the outdoor, which they canceled last year. So she was, you know, this hot like recruit from the UT system who was coming to the mothership and then uh, everything canceled, didn't do indoor. So it's been like two years just waiting to, to throw a javelin. And she only only did it four meters uh, further than anyone else at this, at this meet. It's impressive. So uh, the indoor teams are uh, competing at nationals this weekend, uh, led by Big 12 Coach of the Year. Coach Floreal. Yeah, men's and women's coach in his uh, three years. This is, again, where we say, look, Del Conte hired Mike White. was great. This gives us excitement for Sark. He hired Eldrick Floreal, who has won four in three years, men's and women's, of course, uh, Big 12 Coach of the Year. Um, they are sending 18 total and going to make some noise at that indoor national. Number 25, women's golf win the Wildcat Invitational by – uh, a mere 25 shots, which uh, if they finished at 24 under means that they were the actual only team 
under par for that tournament. First team win of the season and their third lowest 54-hole score in school history, which is just a really impressive outing. Yeah, over four top 20 teams. They had uh, the low score, I think the second low score, and the fourth low score. They were all over it. Uh, soccer got a win over uh, Texas State. Again, second time showing up that, we, that Texas beat them. Uh, 4-0 over Texas State to start their spring season. They're getting some talent in flux for this spring season, Kyle, which is nice to see. Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm excited by this. The the nation's number one recruit, uh, Lexi Masinga, who, who – came in enrolled early so effectively there's freshmen who started in the fall and then she's a freshman who started in in the spring in theory but uh didn't do much on her debut just uh two assists and one goal in 81 minutes uh named to the top door national team of the week as well as the big 12 freshman of the week no big deal just uh a goal and, and two assists to start it off in your first ever collegiate game NBD. No surprise to anybody, though, the Baylor match has been postponed because, well, thank you, Baylor, for that. Uh, so Coach Angela Kelly can't go for win 251 because she got 250 over Texas State, um, which is just, again, Baylor. <laughs> Are you? Is this just like a like? Are they doing their own type of herd immunity experiment? Like I don't know what's going on there, but it's just like it feels like they're every sport is constantly postponed for Baylor. So women's basketball finished off uh, the regular season with a sixty nine to sixty win over TCU. Charlie Collier uh, scored eighteen and got grabbed thirteen boards. Audrey Warren, friend of the show, uh, eighteen points, twelve boards trying to push old chuck for her top spot um the jat and celeste taylor both chipped in 13 so a 17 and 8 record for Vic schaefer in his first year um i think it's a slight decimal winning percentage improvement so uh fewer wins from a year ago but also, fewer losses. Two fewer wins, three fewer losses, so we'll call that a win. Uh, they opened up the Big 12 tournament against Iowa State on Friday, but that's not the only women's basketball news. Charlie Collier, heading into the Big 12 tournament, announced uh, that she will forego her senior season um, and declare for the WNBA draft. She is um, potentially a like number one pick in the uh, NBA or WNBA draft, so uh, not a not a bad decision when you can go uh, get paid for your services. Yeah, I mean, Charlie is, is amazing. Um, there was a stat that she's the only player averaging over thirty uh, percent accounted for her team's points and rebounds in the country. Just you know, she is she is dominating there. Um, she. Uh, Looks to be, if some mock drafts are put it first, the first ever number one pick. She'd be the fifth first rounder in Texas history, but Edwina Brown is our record draftee at number three. She was recently named one of the 15 finalists for the Wooden Award and the Wooden All-American Award, so that basically means she'll make either first, second, or third team All-American um, and is the only player in the country right now averaging 20 and 12. Uh, she's one behind the national lead, finished the season uh, with 17 double-doubles, so one behind uh, the leader there, but an incredible season for Charlie, an incredible career. Um, when we talk about Vic Schaefer winning all those national championships, the the Charlie Collier Bridge year, and who says they don't do it this year? But uh, the, the the Chuck uh, Bridge year will be the start of the Vic dynasty. Uh so some sad news that another person is leaving campus. Uh, Marquez Bimage, a guy who uh, actually opted out of this past football season for COVID reasons, um, is actually officially in the transfer portal. Uh, rumors that oh, he's going to be a grad transfer. So uh, there are rumors of uh, Cal being a favorite, but again, we don't have anything. But it, it seems like some of the guys transferring in and even potential transfers in have likely kind of pushed him down on the depth chart, especially after missing um, an entire year. Again, it if you could go get a master's degree mm -hmm. for free from Berkeley, like I'm not ever going to be mad at you. Yeah. Uh, Marquez Bimich is smarter than most of us. Man's going to graduate with a degree from the university of Texas and a master's degree from Berkeley. Um, that's like, you're going to be calling him Dr. Bimich. Um, so uh, good for you, young man, go get yours, go do what you got to do. Let's hope some of those transfers coming in will uh, slot in and, and uh, contribute there. Cause the defensive line, I'll be curious how we're going to look. We'll talk more about that, but Gerald, the news I really want to talk about. I don't know if I've actually said this on the podcast, but you know I'm a big, big proponent of triple T. That's right. Folks at home, 
taking notes, as I think a lot of people do when they listen to this podcast. Write it, underline it, triple T. I'm going to start highlighting this a little bit more. That's right. We're talking about top 10 Texas. That's triple T, baby. We talked about, uh, obviously, obviously many of number two volleyball, number two women's tennis, number six men's tennis, number seven softball, uh, number three uh, women's track, number 10 men's track. That's top 10 Texas. Well, Gerald, some news came out this week, and I am excited to add we have one more top 10 Texas team. Triple T count increases by one. That's right, because Texas rowing is ranked in their highest position in school history, also coming in the third team currently on the 40 acres at number two. In the preseason poll, they were runners up in 2019. There was no 2020 season, so they are uh, trying to improve on that. Number two, rowing. Gerald, are you excited for more Triple T? Always. Anytime we could say Texas is really good at this thing, which there's a lot of opportunities to do that, uh, I'm excited. They're going to open up their season in a uh, in an exciting way at number three, Michigan, in uh, in April. Top ten Texas. All right, Gerald. So let's uh, let's keep it rolling. Let's go to our section now we call the Godzillatron. We talk about what we watch on our giant screens. Gerald, what have you been watching? Uh, so my wife works late on Fridays. We've talked about that before. So I get to watch the dumb movies that I want to watch. And so, um, you know, to get prepared for this cinematic Marvel that's coming out in, in a few weeks, um, I went and sat back and, and rewatched Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which... Um, I'm going to just say this, right? The first one actually, like the first Godzilla movie is like trying to be a, a kind of classier. Um, like it was Gareth Edwards is a, is a, he likes to make big movies with scale and you have like Brian Cranston and Aaron Taylor Johnson and all like these kind of big, like actory actors. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. If you, I don't care about the plot, but giant <laughs> monsters punching each other is always fun for me. Like whatever the plot, like the plot was, was pretty nonsensical. Like basically like anywhere these monsters attack, um, like kind of ecologically resets. And so there's like this terrorist group that's like, we're just going to wake up all these monsters so they can reset the environment. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Um, let's watch them punch each other, which was fun for me. Like I enjoyed watching big monsters punch each other. I'm going to get really excited for Godzilla and King Kong to do it next month, punch each other as well. It'll be great. Um, and then I was, I, I, I'm a big podcaster when I'm, you know, whether I'm working out or working around the house or whatever. Um, and, and I, I've followed brag. Just, we all know you're a big time podcaster, Gerald. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a big time. I like to listen to podcasts. That's how I got into this. Um, but, but the Katie Nolan sports podcast the sports with a question mark, like on Tuesdays, they do like a, a kind of a, she's kind of a satirical, like she does like comedy kind of stuff about sports. But on Thursday, she kind of just does like talking to people about like their lives and their issues and mental health. And this, in this week's, um, this last week's is really touching. She was talking to a sports center anchor, um, who, who's go, been going through a divorce over over the pandemic and kind of you know had saw his marriage dissolve over the last 12 months and like two-thirds of the way into the podcast he's talking about grieving and the grief process and all that and like he had signed his papers like 36 hours before recording this podcast so it, it was this really interesting um interesting is not the right word but like it's kind of a moment where you get to hear somebody like processing through grief out loud mm. um which is re really poignant and honestly um for anybody that's had to grieve or been through grieving um it's it's just a, a thought exercise for you to kind of go through that and, and remember the process because i mean grief is not a straight line grief is kind of a wiggly line that goes you know three steps forward 49 steps back 63 steps forward nine steps to the left and then you jump to the right and zig and zag it it's it's a weird thing yeah. um it was just interesting to see, and, and again, um, the she's a great interviewer. So, like, if you're into that sort of thing, her Thursday podcast is really good. Yeah, that's that's a great recommendation. I, I that appreciate you saying that too. I agree. If any of our listeners it's, it, are going through anything like that, and speaking from personal experience, it, it, it isn't linear, and that's okay. Um, I, I will listen to that because I'm actually very curious. And I think Katie Nolan is just precious. I think she's funny. I think she's smart. She's quick. She's quippy. Um, she always has, you know, interesting and good takes on things. I've, I've followed her for years. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I haven't listened to too much to her podcast specifically. But uh, you're selling me on it. I'm going to switch directions there, Joe. Celebrated my, my birthday with my in-laws. And they uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful dinner. 
And uh, after we finished fajitas and margaritas, we, we, we sat down, as a family does, to celebrate a birthday um, on Friday night and watched uh, the hottest thing in America at the moment. That's right. Coming to America, too, Gerald. Um, I mean, we can all quote the original, you know. Uh, that boy good. He real good. Um, you know, Mama called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. You know, there, there, there are a million quotable lines. I'll leave it at that. If you haven't seen the first one, stop listening to this podcast. Go watch the original Coming to America, one of the funniest movies of all time that actually holds up really well. Well, anyways, the, the second one came out. Sequels are tough. They made a joke in that movie about, you know, the American obsession with sequels and how dumb that is, which I appreciated the meta-ness. But if you have seen the first one and you adore it, you will adore the second one because it's a continuation. They dive back into the well, add some new story. There's some things that aren't perfect. Um, but what they did do, what they got completely and utterly right, is they said, who's someone who at his prime and current day is the closest approximation to just like pound for pound funny? Every word he says makes every person around them cry laughing that we have. And I, for my money, would say Tracy Morgan might be that guy. Um, the, the, the like, just stories of him skipping SNL, like, rehearsal and showing up and just breaking everyone because he's so unbelievably funny off the cuff and doesn't need to practice. That's just who he is. Are legendary. But he was by far the best part of this movie. Um, like, the laugh out loud moments are typically driven. There are some other good parts. I won't spoil anything because I think everyone should go watch it. But uh, um, anytime he's on screen, he just cracks me up. He's not the like most major player, um, but he is. He's probably the funniest. Um, so that was that was great. And then I'm gonna slip it in because I didn't watch it. I listened to it, but I did watch it. I watched the music video at least twice, um, and so I'm gonna count it. Uh, Silk Sonic came out, released their first single beautiful it is i've probably listened to that song in in a week's time uh, 65 times i'd say 30 of those at least are my wife playing it um you know with 30 or me um but it's just so so it's a perfect name silky it is it is it is layered funny smooth it's, it's, it's perfect music um if you're not familiar bruno mars and anderson uh pack basically um two of the best like performers artists everything alive right now got together and said you want to just make smooth like 70s throwback solid gold um jazz funk rap music and it's it's amazing and perfect and you if you haven't listened to it again stop what you're doing you don't even need to pause this podcast we're almost moaned Wait three minutes, finish this podcast, then go and uh, check that out. It's so good. My wife is annoyed with how many times I've played that song. Like, that is perfectly <laughs> up my alley. Um, there was a, there. This is a deep cut for, for some folks. In like 2008, Rafael Sadiq put out an album, um, and it was very similar to this, and it's one of my all-time favorites. If you haven't listened to it, you totally should so yeah no it's it like if if that whole album because they're doing a whole album that whole album is the same as that that song or in the same vein of that song it is going to be a winner for me um and i just have to anytime tracy anytime tracy morgan comes up i'm a huge tracy morgan fan like i am the president of the tracy morgan fan club um Wesley Snipes is also low key a comedic assassin in a lot of ways. I love Wesley Snipes. Um, dude is just low key funny. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics. Big Bertha, we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what do you bang the drum on this week? So I'm gonna go back to the well of basketball. First, I'm gonna tell you, Gerald, wasn't 40 yard dash on that Rafael Sadiq album you uh, that you referenced was. in 2008? So you, we're keeping it sports for those who. You who think we we chat too much at the beginning and we've brought too much pop culture at the end. 40 Yard Dash was a track. You should also listen to that. So, football, sports. Okay, we're back. Um, but I'm going to bang the drum specifically. I'm going to go back to the well of basketball because, you know, it's March. It's it's a time of, of mayhem and, and, and madness. Um, and... It's also a time when the, when the basketball season ended, and so before I get into the tournament stuff, they give out the awards for the year. Now, Gerald, I don't know if you saw it, but the... Big 12 is really good. You know, there's there's no way to say it other than than they're just a, a it's we've said the best basketball conference in the country. Um, 
you can't look at anyone on the first team, which Texas does not feature in, and say, yeah, that guy absolutely did not deserve it. Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell from Baylor, both unbelievable. Austin Reeves from Oklahoma, I don't like that kid. He's kind of, you know, uh, annoying. Um, but he had a great year. He knows how to put the ball in the hole. Cade Cunningham lived up to the hype. And and Derek Culver from West Virginia was a big reason that they were just so deadly all year um on the second team andrew jones made it which i think is is a is a great recognition of of how good he was especially at moments when he carried the team and just was our dynamic offensive player through parts of the season um third team you can't even be that mad maybe you could have made arguments that either one of those moved up but that matt coleman and courtney ramey fell in there but what i did get mad with joe is honorable mention went to jericho sims so you're thinking okay when they looked at his body of work, they really just thought he's more um, of a defensive presence because he can guard positions one through five. He has more clips than any big man in the country of shutting down, again, first-team point guard Austin Reeves or any of the other great guards in the Big 12. So, okay, Jericho Sims made the all-defensive. No. No, Jericho Sims did not make the Big 12 all-defensive team, which is an absolute Travis Sham mockery. He did not make, which I think should have been, if not, Let's call it second. Probably second team, all Big 12. At least third team. Again, honorable mention that he shared with Kai Jones and Greg Brown, which, you know, great for those two guys for sure. Sims was many times in many games the best player on the floor on on battles of two top 12 teams in the Big 12, Texas versus insert team here, and was the best player, the most unstoppable, the player that the team had to game plan most around on either Texas or the other team for, for multiple stretches through this season. Was he perfectly consistent at all times? No. Can he hit a free throw if his life depended on it and you also offered him a $10 million bonus? No, he still couldn't. But the man is an absolute human weapon. We talked about just how jacked he is, how quickly he explodes to the rim, how he can dunk anything under the sun. And when basically a team that runs zero plays for Sims... Maybe, maybe the end of the year they ran one or two with a couple of those slip screens that were thrown for alley-oops, which are just gorgeous, um, but runs very little, 5% or less of its offense through it, can just put up double-digit scoring numbers, shut down you know the premier big men in the Big 12, and also, oh yeah, on pick and rolls, pop out and shut down elite ball handlers with consistency. I was just a little bit miffed and i wanted to get that off my off my chest congrats to greg brown for the all newcomer and all freshman team and of course congrats to kai jones for making the sixth man of the year but my boy jericho sims deserved a significant amount more and uh you know i'm don't even get me started on if brock cunningham maybe deserved a sniff of the all defensive team as well but i'll i'll leave my vitriol for for the uh for the pro sims lobby who are we paying? We buying off politicians to lobby. Let's do this. So I'm banging the drum this week on um, a, a social media post from like five days ago or so. Um, one again, the Texas social media team is just so good, and the football guys are just killing it. But um, the way that they're highlighting student, the student and student athletes on the football team is really, uh, really interesting to me because it just feels different than like the way that it's been done in, in previous years. Um, and so, like, the Anthony Cook got a full tweet, a full graphic makeup for being the football team student of the month. Um, and then they have four students of the week that were J.D. Coffey, Kelvante Dixon, um, Dejon Harrison, and, and Justin Mater. And so, like, just the, the little details like that where they seem to be trying to do the right things and highlight the right things and, and uh, line out the right things for, for the organization. It just feels like and, – and again – Every new football coach is the greatest football coach in the world. But as somebody who, like, a big chunk of my job is to look at organizational culture and see um, where it's wrong and where it's where it needs to be changed. If you don't know, that's what I do for my day job. Um, the, the culture of the organization, at least from the outside, seems different. The things that a lot of people are saying, the things that they're doing, the conversations. Like, there was a video of um, Coach Beckton, the strength and conditioning coach, kind of talking to them about, um, you know, the workout and all of that. And just the way that he's delivering the information. And, and even just the change in the workouts, you see, um, shocking, like, skill position guys aren't maxing out on their squats. Uh, like, there's just those things um, that seem to culturally be shifted that uh, that continue to be hopeful. Now, again, you and I have, have long been accused used and, and widely admitted to be both sunshine pumpers and Kool-Aid drinkers. But, like, again, 
my whole day job, my gig, my nine to five is looking at organizational cultures. And that is to me, like, it's just, it seems different. And that feels like a positive for me. We, we will have no way of knowing until the, you know, the best selling book comes out 20 years from now about what happened during Sark's uh, initial years of the dynasty. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we can only speculate from the outside in, but if for those of you who listen to this podcast, this is the stuff you really tune in for. Gerald and I have good opinions, but listen when Gerald talks about this stuff because he knows it as good or better from a human level. The human uh, element of organizations and, and, and human interactions as good as anyone. So you're, you're getting a treat. The, the $9.99 that y'all pay a month for this podcast. Y'all are paying that, right? Whatever. Okay. You get it for free um, for now. Uh, but uh, that you're paying for this podcast, uh, the best content that you're getting out of that is when Gerald talks about uh, the human element of things. So just listen from here on out and, and go back and listen to every one of our probably 300 episodes before this and, and, and look for those nuggets as well. Um, if you do that, I will give you $9.99 actually. Um, but uh, it, it is a treat for me uh, when, when I hear Gerald comment because I think you you, you just have an understanding that's that's uh, insightful and incisive and, and it's always interesting. But I also agree with my, my naive and novice opinion that it does look and feel different. And I mean, my enthusiasm is 100% unleaded gas no brakes applied i am pumping the sunshine all gas no brakes unleaded no ethanol only the good stuff that's all we've got for you <laughs> this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter that's at kyle carpenter you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on twitter i'm at gh goodrich follow the show on twitter at longhorn choose an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com and catch me tomorrow uh doing a wandavision wrap-up on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds will look back at the season finale. Spoiler alert, Raymond and I disagree about this last episode. But Texas is currently up 11-9 at the seventh inning stretch. That's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Until next time, hook up. Hook up. Top 10 Texas, baby.